0: Our father, um, David, prayed in Psalm 57 when he was in dire straits, surrounded by hundreds of soldiers who were instructed to take his life, and he was burrowed into a cave somewhere. He said, I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. And you had made him a promise, and it had not been fulfilled yet. And it was a very specific promise. And he knew that his time on earth was not done yet. Now, we don't know when our appointment with death comes. Uh, Your word says it is appointed for a man once to die, and then comes judgment. But until our moment that you have set comes, we're immortal. And we are thankful that you are there. We are thankful that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ to rescue us from our sin and from our self-centeredness. Uh, we're all born in sin, we're all born as narcissists, we really don't care about anyone else except ourselves, and uh, it's our nature. Uh, We are born dead in our trespasses and sins, the scriptures tell us, but we are so thankful that the Lord Jesus came and he lived a sinless life, he was God. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross. He took on our sin, all of our sin upon him, and he died in our place. He was buried and on the third day by your power. He was raised up. And he's at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for his people and for those who will become his people. That uh, that verse Of Psalm 57 means so much to us when we are in difficult places and tight places. I will cry to God most high. Sometimes there are people that are in powerful places that uh, are pressing us, that are threatening us, that uh, do not have our best interest at heart. And they are in high places, and they have authority, they have... uh, Certain amount of power, but we're thankful that you are God Most High, and that you're high over all men, all creatures. You're God Most High, and as as one of the old Puritan pastors translated that, "I will cry to God Most High, who is the transactor of all of my affairs." So, Lord, um, we're coming from different situations. We're coming from different circumstances. Uh, For some, it's been a relatively good day. Others, it's been a disappointing day, maybe uh, perhaps even a crushing day or a crushing week. But we call out to you. We cry out to you, God Most High, who is the transactor of all of our affairs. We thank you that we have been rescued from our sin by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we trust you in his sacrifice on our behalf and in our place. That's how we have peace with you, by trusting in Christ and what he did on our behalf. Nothing we can do to earn it. And then, Lord, you take us with our brokenness and our faults and our own sin, and you begin to mature us and grow us up in Christ. It's not an easy process. It's a necessary process. There are times when we feel about we're by ourselves, but we're not. Your eye is always upon us. You know exactly what's going on. You know exactly what the issues are. So we say tonight that we trust in you and we cry to you, the God who is the transactor of all of our affairs. You will sin from heaven and save us. You will sustain us until we take our last breath, and then we'll be in your presence. Uh, that's either true or it isn't. We believe it's true. Jesus taught it. He rose from the dead. Over 500 saw him at one time. He conquered death. We don't have to fear it. We're grateful for this truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Did I watch the debate last night? Was that a debate? I didn't see it. No, 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 I was in the uh, waiting room at the hospital because my daughter-in-law, Christina, was in labor. And we had a little grandson born last night. Yeah. And there was obviously a debate between Christina and Lucas if he was going to come up, uh, show up or not. And uh, he finally did. We all left. Oh, it's going to be a long time. And everybody left, and 45 minutes later, he decided he was going to come out, and he did. So... uh, it was neat, yeah, so we're, we're very, no, it's the third grandson, and then we have a little granddaughter, and uh, yeah, they're all four and under, and Mary continues to put uh, fertility drugs in the girl's water, so we're, she won't admit to that, I think it's happening, so we're confident there'll be more children coming. Well, here's what we're doing tonight. We're back in our study. We're calling this thing this semester, Godly and Gutsy. Kind of a unique title. We all start out ungodly, but when we meet the Lord Jesus Christ and we hear the gospel and the spirit of God regenerates our hearts, opens our eyes, and we say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. We turn from our sins. We turn to him. He gives us eternal life. And what happens, in fact, in John 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, he called that whole thing being born again. Um, So we had a grandson born last night, and for months and months and months, we've been talking about the upcoming birth. That's been the conversation. The birth, the birth, what's the due date again? The birth, the birth, the birth. So last night, he shows up. Nobody's talking about birth now. Now we're talking about growth. And from here on out, it's going to be growth. That's the way it is. When, it, and, and in fact, for the rest of his life, nobody will be talking about his birth except one day out of the year. Because once birth happens, you're past birth, and now the whole name of the name game is to grow, is to mature, is to mature, uh, to be, to, to you know, you, you go through the phases. You're a little boy, and then at a certain point, you hit adolescence, and uh, you kind of go insane, and. It's, it's really interesting, um, but you're trying to figure out how to go from being a boy to being a man, and it's not an easy time, and then you start going through the seasons and the chapters of life. That's life. But if you ever stop growing, you're in trouble. We stop growing physically, but you can't stop growing in terms of your character. You can't stop growing in terms of your maturity. Now, some guys choose to do that. And you've all, we've all known guys who were maybe 40, 45 years old, and they basically function like they were 17 years old. I'll, I'll never forget um, going to a Tom Thun grocery store, and as I'm getting out of the car and walking in, here comes a guy walking out, probably 65, maybe close to 70, and... Um, I mean, I, I thought, this this guy is too old for midlife crisis, but he's in some kind of crisis. Because I really got the sense, there was there was just an aura about this guy that he thought or wanted to be t- 20 years old. Uh, he dressed like he was 20, he had on the, the cutoffs, and he had on the flip-flops, and he had on the this, and he had the hat on backwards, and he's chewing his gum, and he gets in his car, and he starts it up, and he peels out of the parking lot, and... I mean, it was kind of ludicrous. You you, you see, the name of the game is to mature. The name of the game is to grow up. Um, That's why the Scripture says that the older men are to teach the younger. Now, tonight we're going to be in 1 Timothy. We start out ungodly. We meet the Lord Jesus Christ, and we begin the process of being conformed to to his image, uh, of becoming like him. It's a work that the Spirit of God does in our hearts. So, and none of us have arrived yet, but we're in the process. Older men are to teach younger men, and older men are to teach younger men and help them, uh, even if someone doesn't know the Lord. You have a son, you're a dad, it's your job to help your son. Help him learn responsibility. Help him learn what it means to be a man. Help him to find a trade, a craft. The older are to teach the younger. Uh, Paul is addressing in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy his spiritual son who was Timothy, obviously. And he is kind of coaching him. He's kind of mentoring him. Um, We're doing this series, Godly and Gutsy. The word gutsy, if you look it up in the dictionary, means to be marked by courage. Marked by courage and determination. We're all born with a temperament. Uh, we're, We're all born with certain gifts. God, when he forms us and fashions us in the womb, and this would be Psalm 139, God constructs us in the womb. He gives you gifts, he withholds gifts. He gives you aptitudes, he withholds aptitudes. He puts you together. He also gives you a temperament. I I remember reading uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, his book called Spiritual Depression. And he was a medical doctor before he became a pastor and he was a brilliant um, teacher of the scriptures. Um, And one of the things he talked about and the whole idea of why some Christians get depressed and why some Christians never get depressed is the whole idea of temperament. We're born with a temperament. Um, some are just natural optimists. They the glass is always half full. But some are born pessimists, the glass is always half empty. And there are four, if you if you research this, there are kind of four general temperaments that are are referred to. And everybody is usually a combination of one or the other. But you're born with a temperament. Uh, I I remember him saying that some people are, they just, they're fearless. They just have no fear. They don't know what it is to be fearful. Uh, Another word for these people would be called linebackers. (laughs) If you've ever been around someone who's a true linebacker, a true linebacker. And, and you know, the hardest I ever got hit playing football was guy, a guy about, about 5'9 and about maybe 160. But I mean, he was a guided missile. I mean, he just clocked me. Uh, never saw him coming. Wasn't a big guy, but he was a, he was a genuine linebacker. Uh, linebackers have no fear. If you look deep into the eyes of a genuine linebacker, you'll see the word Tilt. My younger brother, Jeff, youngest brother, Jeff, was a true linebacker, and he was the youngest of three boys. Um, I was away at college when Jeff was in his senior high school, and he would call me and tell me about his Friday night games and, you know, how things went, and they won or lost, and he'd get real excited, he'd tell me that he hit a guy so hard it knocked the guy out. But then twice he told me, and he was pumped. He hit a guy twice so hard, he knocked the guy out, and he knocked himself out. Now, this explains why Jeff, over the years, has had 20 major surgeries. Because he has. And he's lived in chronic pain for 20 years. Kind of sad. But when you're young, you don't think that can happen to you. But see, that's a matter of temperament. The reason I'm bringing this up, and why am I bringing this up? I got a point. Paul is writing to Timothy to encourage to encourage him. To encourage him. Uh, the word encourage means to put courage in because Timothy was not a linebacker by temperament. Uh, Timothy did not like conflict. Timothy did not like, well, he wanted everyone to get along. If Timothy had played football, I think he would have been a wide receiver uh, who was all dolled up, had the wristbands, had the paraphernalia, just, I mean, just really t- look good. But the kind of wide receiver who really all he wanted to do was just go long. Because he had natural speed and he thought he could outrun everybody. But the kind of wide receiver who would never grow across the middle, because if he did, he might get hit by a linebacker. Uh, Now, there is some wisdom. Uh, There's wisdom that comes with having a little bit of fear. But Timothy was extremely fearful. It was his nature. And so what's happening is that he's in a situation that requires some gutsiness. It requires courage. And the immediate situation, if you look at 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 3, uh, in 1 and 2, it's Paul writing to Timothy, my true son, child in the faith. Uh, faith. Look at verse 3. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. You had some false teachers in the church. And Timothy was left there by Paul to oversee this church. He was responsible to lead the church. And one of his jobs was to confront these false teachers. But you see, when you're fearful, and that's your natural tendency, it's just how you were born, it's how you're made, that's your default position, um... You have got to learn to fight off fear. I've said this many times. In my estimation, this is just an opinion. About 90% of the Christian life is fighting off fear because there's always something to be afraid of. You've got something in your life right now that uh, causes you anxiety. It might be a decision that's coming up and you don't want to make the wrong choice, and you're praying, you're asking the Lord, you're talking to your wife, you're talking with some friends, you're not quite sure what to do. It, it, uh, it, it could be from this source, it could be because of a health change, a relationship issue, it could be all kinds of stuff, but you're, in some area of your life, you're having to fight off fear. Why is it so many times in Scripture we read the two words, fear not, fear not, fear not, because there's always something to fear. It's just the nature of the beast. Um, Even if if you're not fearful with physical contact, a a lot of times there are other issues that come up in life that will make you fearful. You see, because we're all dust, we've all got our flaws, we all have our weaknesses, and the older you get, the more you realize that uh, you're not as adequate as you thought you were when you were a young man and maybe full with a lot of confidence and vigor, and, uh, you know, you're going to take the world over. You get get blindsided a few times as you're going through life, and all of a sudden you realize, you know what? Uh, I'm a needy guy, and that's a great place to be. Uh, Fear is such a fascinating thing. Fear can be overcome. One of the things that Martin Lloyd-Jones said is, we should understand our temperaments. But what happens when we come to the Lord, and you'll never change your temperament, even after you become a Christian. But what can happen is, after we become a Christian, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. What Lloyd-Jones pointed out, and I think absolutely correctly, was although you can never change your temperament because of the work of the Holy Spirit and because of the maturity that can come about in a man's life through the Scriptures, as he's following the Lord Jesus Christ, what can happen? You'll never change your temperament, but watch this. You don't have to be mastered by your temperament. You see? If you're a natural pessimist, you can learn over time that the joy of the Lord is your strength. You can learn it. Now, you're going you're to learn it overnight? No. That's going to come. That's going to be a hard thing to learn. It's going to take plenty of time. Uh, That's just the way it works. But you see, you don't have to be mastered by your temperament because you can be mastered by the truth and by the word of God. So Timothy was a young guy whose default position was fear. He wanted everybody to get along. But he's right out of the blocks. Paul is writing to him. You got an issue, Timothy. You got to confront the brutal facts. You got these false teachers. I'm gone. I left you there. It's interesting that Paul said in verse 3, he said, he he said, uh, I urged you upon my departure at Macedonia to remain on at Ephesus. To remain on. Why would he uh, instruct him to remain on? Because he wanted to leave. See, a lot of times we find ourselves in situations and they're so uncomfortable and they're so painful that what we want is, we want out. We don't. The last thing we want to do is remain on, but actually what the Lord has for us at this time in our lives, he wants us to remain on. This is part of the process. It, 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 it can be a job. It can be a, a, a real rough time in a marriage. Man, you, you've been betrayed or you've betrayed your spouse or there's all this lack of trust and you're just hanging by your finger. Neither one of you wants to be there. If you leave, God can't fix it. But you remain on because you made a vow, better for better or worse, rich or poor in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Uh, those words are easy to say, they're hard to do. That's why I, the fact of the matter is, weddings are easy, marriage is hard. Marriage is tough. Every marriage has stretches where, dadgum, what did I do? My gosh. That's just life, because you got two flawed, messed up people. But, but what, what, if at all possible, you remain on. It doesn't mean there, there aren't biblical grounds. They're very strict. But there, are there biblical grounds for a divorce? Yes. You don't have to take them. The best thing is to reconcile. Okay. He wanted out of his situation. Paul wanted him to remain on, learn the lessons, uh, We looked uh, just briefly last week, I think, at 1 Corinthians 4 2. What's required of a steward is that he be found faithful. Now, it doesn't say what's required of a steward is that he be found imminently successful. What's required of a steward is that he be found faithful. When you talk to young men, and a lot of times you get the idea that uh, they don't want to do anything boring. But you know, the fact of the matter is, most of life is boring. Most of the life is remaining on. It's staying at your post. It's punching in. It's showing up. It's being responsible. It's doing your work. It's carrying your load and load of other people that you love. Jesus modeled that for us. And this is what Paul is encouraging young Timothy to do. I want you to remain on. This is your responsibility. And so he keeps talking to him about these false teachers and that he's going to have to take them on, and it's really the last thing that he wants to do. So you get down to verse 18, and now he's coming on full blast with a strong dose of encouragement that will enable Timothy to be gutsy. Because what he's going to talk to him about is how to fight the good fight. Um, You know, when you live in the Bible Belt, you'll probably go to church. Uh, A lot of guys go to church in the Bible Belt because it's the expected thing to do. Maybe not as much as it used to be, but it's still there. Maybe your family expects it. Maybe your wife expects it. And uh, you know, you got a Christian heritage, and you know all the words to all the hymns and all that stuff. But uh, you don't really know the Lord. A lot of guys go to church, they know about the Lord, but they don't know the Lord. There's a difference. In John 17, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. It's the knowing. It's the knowing. Before, before we come to know the Lord, even if you're a church guy and you do the church stuff, and uh, you're really not leading and you're not having an influence spiritually on your family. In the things that count, you may be working hard and providing for them, and you're to be commended by that, for that. But in the things that matter for eternity, you're not having an impact. So the enemy is not interested in you, but any of us before we come to know Christ, because he already has us neutralized. But when a guy gets serious about Christ, the enemy gets serious about you. And when the enemy gets serious about you, and you decide I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus, you're going to have to learn to fight the good fight, and it's a fight. It's a struggle. So here's what Paul says to Timothy in verse 18. Uh, 1 Timothy 1 verse 18. This command, and and as we do this, I, I think it'd be good for us just to take a moment and stop and think about where it is in your life that the battle is really raging. What is it that is your greatest battle? What is it that You seem at times to have some victory, but more defeat than victory. Where you're discouraged. Okay, just, you've got that in your mind. You've got that in your head. First Timothy 1.18. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. Uh, Let's just stop right here. Uh, he wants to encourage young Timothy, so he reminds him of some prophecies that were made about him. Now, we don't know what those were. Uh, Paul knew, Timothy knew, so he reminds him um, to encourage him. Um, Those were special things that had been said and had been validated in Timothy's life. Sometimes, when you get discouraged, just look back a little ways and see what the Lord's done in your life. How did you come to knowing? What were the circumstances? What path were you on before you met Christ? What direction were you going? What plans did you have in your mind for your life that uh, got dashed, that got obliterated? Um, nobody likes to have their plans dashed. Nobody likes to have their dreams busted up. But it's usually what happens in our lives. Proverbs 16 says, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And see, when we're fighting discouragement, when we're fighting tough situations, one of the things that can be an encouragement is to look back and just note one or two or three things that the lord has done for you that reminds you how much he cares how much he loves you how much he's looked out for you how much he's pardoned you how much he's forgiven you that that he is on your team psalm 57:9 this i know that god is for me he's for me yeah but steve i'm really struggling well join the club Every guy who's serious about Christ is struggling. Every guy. I don't care who you are. Well, if I was really mature, I wouldn't struggle. Are you kidding? Every guy struggles. Every guy struggles. Billy Graham struggles. Chuck Swindoll struggles. Uh, uh, Whoever your heroes in the faith are, if they're on the earth, they're struggling. Everybody struggles because we still have this sin nature within us and we're trying to learn to, to say no to sin and say yes to the Lord and all of this, we forget in the midst of it that it's a struggle. It's part of the growth process. I mean, it really is. We're born again and then we grow. To maturity how long did it take you to learn how to walk well you don't remember because that was a long time ago but man I mean you can you can watch little 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 grandkids watch that before they ever walk man it's all I mean you know you think is that kid ever gonna crawl is he ever gonna crawl and then one day they, they make a little movement you go oh, good okay and then you know, a little bit more, and then a few weeks go by, and you come in, and you standing up holding on to the hot oven, and, <laughs> you know, and, oh, my gosh. And, but it takes time. It takes time. And the whole time that your son or daughter or granddaughter or grandson are struggling and failing most of the time, you're for them. Are you not? And aren't we, at best, kind of average fathers? At best. Well, what about our our perfect heavenly father? David said, this I know that God is for me, even in my struggles. Timothy was struggling. All right. So he was encouraged by some past things. You look to your past, what God has done. You'll be encouraged. All right. He mentions the prophecies so that by them you may fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Wow. That's that's pretty heavy stuff. Suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith? And then he names two guys. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. He mentions Hymenaeus in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and he mentions Alexander in 2 Timothy, chapter 4. Both of these guys shipwrecked. They started strong, but at this point, they're shipwrecked. Um, No one wants to shipwreck their faith. But you see, in order to not shipwreck your faith, you've got to learn how to fight the good fight, because it's a battle and it is a fight. You can't ever stop fighting. I've never forgotten reading a public statement by a guy who was a pretty well-known Christian musician and songwriter. Wrote some pretty good stuff. How long ago was this? Eight years? Nine years? Maybe ten. I don't know. But he put out a statement on his website Announcing that he had left his wife and his children, and he was going to pursue the gay lifestyle. And as <clears throat> I read through it was quite a lengthy post basically the sum of it was, is for years and years and years, uh, I have had same-sex attraction, and it's just always been there, and I've fought it, and I've dealt with it, and I prayed over it, and I asked the Lord to take it away, and all of this and that. and it's just a huge struggle guy was very honest about it. And basically he said, I'm just tired of fighting the struggle, so I'm going to give in to it. Now I know guys that don't struggle with same-sex attraction. They suffer with opposite-sex attraction. And they prayed over it and they've asked God to take it away. And they get older, and they think, oh, that'll go away, and it doesn't go away. And it just, it, it just doesn't go away. It's just there. It's just there. It's, it, uh... And I actually heard a guy say who um, was kind of living a double life He he, to meet him. uh, He he was in a very strong Bible church and very involved in ministry and wife and kids and they all did the Christian stuff and you know in the Bible studies and all the kids were involved in the summer camps and you know the whole thing. And uh, then his wife wound up with an STD. And, <clears throat> well, there was no way she was getting an STD except through one contact, and that was the guy she was faithful to. And that's when the whole thing came tumbling down. <clears throat> that he had a whole other life that he had <clears throat> lied about and covered up and denied and 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 then there was kind of an excuse made that, well, you know, I've struggled with this for so long. And it it was the same exact excuse that that the Christian musician made to justify going into the gay lifestyle. I mean, it works both ways. If you want an excuse. John Owen said, either you will be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Christian life is a battle, so we've got to learn how to fight the good fight. In this passage, here's what I love about this passage. I mean, this is the simplest outline in the world. If I was taking notes, and I'm not, but if I were, I would have how to fight the good fight, and then I'd have two points, and that would be it. Number one, because they're in the text, you fight the good fight, number one, by keeping faith, secondly, by what does he say there keeping faith and a good conscience so how to fight the good fight number one you keep faith and number two you keep a good conscience that's it that's how you fight the good fight now um let's talk about keeping faith what does it mean to keep faith Uh, how do you fight the good fight i'm grateful he doesn't give me 29 different points He gives me two. Keeping faith. In other words, who wants to shipwreck their faith? Nobody. Keeping faith, you you, you fight the good fight by keeping faith and a good conscience. He doesn't say keeping faith or a good conscience. He says keeping faith and. So what is it? What is keeping faith? Um, The first question is, how do you get faith? Flip over to Romans 10, verse 17, if you would. Very clear explanation of how it is that we get faith. In Romans 10, 17, it says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. So, and what Paul's talking about is this is why we send missionaries out, we send people out to foreign lands, because whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Christ. So the way that we get faith is to hear the Word of God. Uh, There is no faith apart from the Word of God. We hear the gospel. We believe the gospel. The Spirit of God regenerates our hearts, opens our blind eyes, and we say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I believe you're God. I believe you're my Savior. And we turn from our sin, and we turn to him, and we begin to follow him. It begins the process when you're born again. It doesn't stop at birth. Now we're going to grow So the way that we get faith in the first place is by hearing the Word of God. But, how are you, so that's how you're born again, you hear the Word of Christ. Now, how do you grow in Christ? All right, now go to John 8, 31. In John 8, Jesus lays this out about as, it's about as crystal clear as it can ever get. In John 8, verse 31, Jesus says this, So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, now watch this, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So let's stop for a minute and just kind of back up where we are. We want to fight the good fight, all right? How do I fight the good fight? By keeping faith, all right? How did I get faith? God gave it to me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So faith is a gift of God. So he supplied it to me. Now, how do I grow in faith? How do I mature in faith? Well, it's real clear. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Not if you you go to a lot of church activities. Not if you go to this convention or go to this Bible conference or this or this. If you continue in my word. Why are you guys here tonight? You're continuing in his word. You want to know what his word says. You, you, you never stop in the Word. Why is that? Deuteronomy 32, in fact, let's go to Deuteronomy 32. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then you'll find Deuteronomy. You get down towards the end, Deuteronomy 32. Verse 45, when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, take to your heart all the words which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. Watch this. For it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. It's your life. Why, why did you say if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine? Because it's your life. You can't sustain spiritual life without feeding on the Word of God. You can't sustain physical life without feeding. You can't do it. Which would also take us to Matthew 4 4. If you want to go over there, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is in this book. Now, I want to mention something. Every time I walk into a Christian bookstore, I get bothered. Because the biggest Christian-selling book in America um, is a book called Jesus Calling. And then this week, they're releasing the, the sequel. It sold millions and millions and millions of, of, of uh, copies. It, uh, it's written by a lady, and really the idea of Jesus Calling is that... Um, she really, she really, really, really wanted the Lord to speak to her. Um, in the early editions, which has been taken out of the later editions, she acknowledges two women who wrote a book called God Calling. Not, they're not Christians. They're not biblical Christians. They're into some weird cult. But in that book, They would ask God to speak to them, and they believed that they heard his voice, and they would write down, and you see, that to them was God's word. In Jesus' calling, this lady claims that if you will ask him, he will speak to you, and in Jesus' calling, she writes down what she says are the very words of Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's dangerous. That's really dangerous. It's dangerous, number one, because you're saying this Bible is not sufficient. It's lacking. Yet 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God. God breathed. He breathed out. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The idea there is that every man may be completely furnished for every good work. But if Jesus is missing something here that is in some other book, then this book is not adequate and you're not completely furnished. You see what I'm saying? And this this book is huge. It's huge. And then the book says something. Oh, well, this is not equal to the words of Scripture. Oh, I I guess not. But how do you know that's Jesus talking? How do you know that's Jesus? And I read some of it. I read some of it. And you know what's interesting? I'd flip a page, and I'd go over here, and I'd flip another page. And everything I read, nothing sounded like Jesus in the Scriptures. It sounded like, to be real honest with you, it kind of sounded like a... um, 40 to 50-ish Christian woman uh, talking. (laughs) Using the same kind of terms and the phraseology kind of sounded like the lady who wrote the book talking. It sure didn't sound like Jesus. And it, it, it just kept emphasizing certain things and ignoring other things that Jesus dealt with. So why are you going into this? Because this is serious. It's the biggest-selling Christian book in the world. You say, isn't it? And then they have the devotional guide, and they've got the guide for teens, and the guide for left-handers, and the guide for, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's a whole industry. Why don't you just read the Bible? In certain circles that I was raised in, people were real big on getting a word from the Lord. And folks would come up to them and say, well, I have a word from the Lord. Okay. Well, we're to test the spirits. If someone ever comes up to you and says, I think I have a word from the Lord, you better test it. You can can listen to them and just say, oh, thanks. Let me pray about that. Uh, it might be, it's not that we can't encourage each other. It can't can't be that the Lord will put something on your heart to say to someone. But you got to be real careful saying, this is a word from the Lord. This this is a word from the Lord. This is inspired. You see? We've gotten pretty sloppy in evangelicalism. We've, We've let down the walls. We've let down the borders. You don't do that with the Word of God. Years ago, years and years ago, I read about, and I was a junior high school, I was in some book club, and, I, you know, they'd send me these different books. I, I read about the Secret Service and the Treasury Department, and I remember reading that those agents that specialized in counterfeit money, when they trained them, they never showed them counterfeit money. Never. Never. All they did was they take them to the Mint, They'd show them the printing press. They'd show them the fiber of the paper. They'd show them this, the coins. They'd show them the whole thing. They, they, they knew that stuff in their sleep. So that, when they got out in the field, and actually someone passed a counterfeit, they knew it was a counterfeit. Because they were so familiar with the authentic and the genuine. You see? So what does Paul say to Timothy? Keeping faith. How do I keep faith? Well, you got faith by the word of God. How do I grow in faith? How do I keep faith? If you continue in my word. There's no shortcut to maturing in Christ apart from the Word of God. There's no way around it. And and some guys say, man, I've heard this all, I've heard this all my life. Yeah, and you'll hear it for the rest of your life if you're in a Bible teaching church because it is not an idle word for you. It is your life. Satan doesn't mind if you revere the Bible. He just doesn't want you reading the Bible. He doesn't want you interacting with it. You see? Have you ever decided, you know, yeah, I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to read the scriptures or something, and you wake up, and then uh, you, you get diverted, you get distracted, something like this. Why is that? If I go to If I go to read a newspaper, if I go to read this or that or that, rarely do I get diverted like that. Every time I go to Scripture, I have to fight to stay in Scripture. Why is that? The enemy doesn't want you in this book. Because there's power in this book. This book will equip you. It's a fight to keep faith. We said last week that, I I, I made the statement that when when you see people that are really serious in following the Lord, and there's a level of maturity that you see, and gosh, I respect that. I wish I, I was where they are. If you talk to those people, you're going to find out they're in the Word personally. They they work out in the Scriptures. But when I was 32, I decided I was a young pastor. I decided, you know what? It's time for me to get serious about this, and I found a Bible reading calendar. And my dad was in the Scriptures every morning. I saw him my whole life doing that. And I decided when I was 32, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And I got a Bible reading guide, and I just followed it. And I get behind, and then I catch up. And <clears throat> and then the next year, year, and the next year, and the next year, um, by God's grace and by God's goodness. I've been doing that for 35 years, reading through the Bible. And it's always a struggle. I always get diverted. Something always happens. I, 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 I watch my schedule, I, I keep this in my Bible, and I use this thing, and I try to read ahead. And I get on planes and I read ahead. And I was gonna catch up on a plane a couple weeks ago going to Utah. And I'm getting settled in, and all of a sudden, and then I realized I had just sat on a piece of chewing gum. <laughs> and it was somewhat embarrassing. Um, kind of threw off my concentration. Kind of... You, you, you get what I'm saying. I think it was Kenneth Cooper, when he came out with his Aerobics, the first book, and he basically talked about the whole concept and... Uh, you know, you don't have to be a marathon runner to be in shape. He basically said, uh, as I recall the book, he had different exercises in the back and point system. If you worked out three times a week in a chosen exercise, roughly for 30 minutes, you'd hit your point level and you'd be in pretty good physical shape. I, if, if you've never set up a time to get in the scriptures on a daily basis... Don't decide, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go seven days straight and never miss, because you're going to miss. Don't set unrealistic goals. Before you can run a marathon, you've got to get a lap around the high school track without vomiting. <laughs> right? Uh, why not, if you've never been in the Scriptures, let me give you a real practical tip here. Because we're talking about fighting the good fight. How, how do I learn to overcome how do I get the Word of God in me? You have to fight the good fight. So, so don't try to do it seven days a week. Why don't you shoot for three days a week? And you can get a little Bible reading guide or you can get a one-year Bible. Ask someone, a friend, what they use or a pastor what they use, and they'll give you a tip. And then what you can do is you can just shoot for three times a week. Maybe you shoot for 15 minutes. If you do nothing else, you can buy one of two devotionals. Don't buy Jesus' Calling. <laughs> but you could buy morning and evening by C.H. Spurgeon now I'm going to tell you something there's some, there's some prime rib for breakfast there'll be a scripture and then with his great gift of insight he'll give you a paragraph and if you do nothing else read that scripture, read that paragraph and then sit there for a while and ponder what he said and then pray over it Lord would you help me with this principle Or get um, Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. Oswald Chambers said, there is a great benefit in simply reading the Bible. I'm not talking about doing word studies and getting out your commentaries. That's great. But just reading the Bible. I I find it interesting that Crossway Publishers which came out with the English Standard Version, which is a really excellent version. They've come out with, I think it's, I just saw it this week. It's a five, it's the Bible, it's five leather-bound volumes in a box. Really nice. So you walk around with five volumes? Is that what you do, come into Bible study? No, that's not what it's for. What it is, um, it'll tell you what books it covers the five, you know, from Genesis maybe to Ezra, and then from Ezra to, I don't know. Anyway, it'll tell you what books are covered. You pull it down, and it's designed, you start reading at the first page, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then you read through Genesis, and by the way, you say, uh, oh, I should tell you this, there are no chapter markings and there are no verse markings. There are no numbers. It's designed just to read. Just to read. Just to read. You just read it. Um, It's not an idle word for you. It is your life. Can I show you something in Psalm 119? Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. It's all about the Word of God. Because we're talking about how do I fight the good fight? How do I start getting... how, How do I start maturing? How do I start getting... How do I start dealing with my anger? How do I start dealing with my irritability? How do I start growing in this? Dealing with pornography. How do I do this? And, 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 and on the way to Psalm 119, I would quote Romans 12, which says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, what? Your mind. So how do you renew your mind? You put the word of God in your mind. You read it. You just read it. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By playing video games four hours a day. (laughs) not what it says. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. How do you know what his commandments are if you never read it? Look at verse 11. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. The Word of God, simply reading the Word of God, gives me a spiritual strength and defense against spiritual temptation. It's the power that's in the Word of God. And before you read, you might, you might just quote this to the Lord. Verse 18 Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Man, Steve, you're spending a lot of time on this. It's critical. It's critical. And, and when you start setting a schedule, does that mean every time you're in the Scripture, it's just zowie, it's wonderful, oh my gosh. No, not usually. When you eat breakfast in the morning, and you're doing you it, that was the most incredible meal I've ever had. No. Half the time, you don't even know what you're eating. You're eating your Cheerios, or your Almond Joys, or whatever the heck you're eating. You don't know what you're eating. You're just eating. And then you grab something on the run at lunch. But you eat. You got to eat. You see? And every once in a while, you get a zinger of meal. Oh, my gosh. This is unbelievable. This is great. But you see, usually you just show up. You're at your post. And you're putting the word of God in your heart. Open my eyes, Lord. Lord, look. You know, Lord. And sometimes you're in a crisis. And you say, you know, Lord, I really... I I need a verse. I need a verse. And when I do that, I go to Psalms, and I just start flipping. And see, I've made notes. I've underlined things in those days. And some of those verses, that didn't mean a bunch to me, but I underlined them. I thought, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. When I'm in a crisis, I said, Lord, I need a verse, and I'm really in trouble, and I go to Psalms, and I start, I don't read everything. I read what I've highlighted. And all of a sudden, I'm reading, and I like, whoa, whoa. Okay. And then I'll live off that verse for five, six, seven, eight, nine days. It's the power of the Word of God. Okay. So that's how you fight the good fight. Actually, it isn't. That's just the first thing. There's one more left. That by them you may keep the good fight, keeping faith, that's being in the Word. Oh, by the way, any of you guys feeling guilty over this? By me going in it, and I make you feel guilty? Yeah, I did. Every time I go to the doctor, he makes me feel guilty. I pay the guy to make me feel guilty. (laughs) But he tells me what I need to know. You need to lay off that. You need to do this. Okay? I was on a plane one time with my doctor, and he was sitting three rows away from me, and I never looked at the guy. (laughs) I wasn't sure he saw me. I didn't want to talk to the guy. You know why? I was guilty. I hadn't done what he told me to do. Now, the next time I saw him, he told me the same thing. And you're saying, yeah, yeah, I've heard this all my life. Well, then, why don't you be a doer of the word instead of just a hearer? You want to grow? There's no shortcut. Set a time. What's a good time for you? To meet with the Lord to read scripture, what's a good time? Just write it down, put it in your phone. You set it, the Lord will be there. He'll show up. What's a good place? What's a good place for you? Outside, in your patio, inside, in your truck at lunch? I mean, what's a good place? What's a good place for you? Just set it up, he'll be there. Get your Bible, get your verses, eat your food. That's how you do it. That's how you work out. You set a time, you set a place. You show up and you do it. And half the time you don't want to do it, but you got to make yourself go. And you do the first exercise and you're into it. Same thing in the Word. Okay. But now, it's not just keeping faith, it's in a good conscience. A good conscience. This is interesting. I'm not going to take too long on this. I don't need to. Go back to 1 Timothy. We were in chapter 1. When I was, uh, I've told this story before, when I was 20 years old, I, uh, I heard a guy preach, and he was very, he really impacted my life. I found out he taught a Bible study about an hour and a half away to a bunch of college students. So I'd drive an hour and a half going and coming to hear this guy teach. Um, and I got to know him a little bit, spent some time with him admired him. He was in his early 40s. I was 20. I thought, you know what? I want to be like this guy sometime. I'd like to... I'd like to teach the Bible that effectively. I'd like to... I mean, he's got a family. He's got a wife, four kids. This guy's... He he was a hero of mine. Um, And I'm sure I've told you this story. My brother who went to USC, was dating a girl who was a flight attendant for TWA. That used to be an airline. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a red-eye flight from New York to L.A., and everybody's sleeping, and she's in the back, and this other flight attendant sits down, pulls out this guy's book, Christian book. And Debbie was kind of surprised, because it didn't seem like this gal, that was her didn't seem like she was following the Lord. And uh, and the gal starts reading, and Debbie said, that's really a good book. She said, yeah, I just, I just got it. And I'm looking forward to read it. I uh, said, yeah, that, that guy's really uh, impressive. She said, yeah, I know. Oh, you, you know him? She goes, I'm dating him. You. You're not dating him. Oh, yeah, I am. And Debbie turned the book over, and there was his picture. You're not dating him. Oh, yeah, that's him. He gave me the book. I spent the weekend with him last weekend. And it was true. And it came out that this guy, this was just one of many. And when I heard that, I was blown away. And I, I, yeah, I was crushed. I was stunned. And I thought, how could, this guy is so strong in the scriptures He's so strong. Yes, he was. But you see, it's keeping faith and a good conscience. If you look at 1 Timothy 4, it says this. The Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now watch this. By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Over the years, this guy was really the first guy I ran into that was so strong in the Word. Have you ever known a pastor? Someone that's had a very public ministry, very powerful, and then it comes out, they're involved sexually. I remember the first time I spoke at a a large conference. I was so intimidated, I didn't even know I was there. Uh, Dr. Howard Hendricks came to my session. I was so nervous, I could hardly turn the pages of the Bible. I knew he was critiquing me, thinking, oh, what's that guy doing up there? Afterwards, he came up. He was very gracious Steve, That was great. I knew he was lying to me, but it sure made me feel good. (laughs) And he was very kind, and he was very gracious to me. I was so in over my head at that place. And then I had dinner with the keynote speaker that night, and I'd read all his books on discipleship, and he's there with his wife. This guy has an international ministry. He's going from there to Korea to disciple 300 pastors. He's telling me all this, and I can't believe I'm talking to this guy. And Oh, my gosh. And then it comes out two weeks later, he's had eight ongoing affairs with women in his church. And he's shipwrecked. And the other guy's shipwrecked. I could go on and on and on. How does that happen? He's so strong in the Scriptures. Yeah, but it's keeping faith and a good conscience. Conscience is a nerve. A nerve. I've noticed in my life when I deviate from the Word of God, when I sin, when I miss the mark, when I do something, when I have told when, when I have lied to someone, I've noticed the Spirit of God, metaphorically speaking, have you ever had him do this? He kind of goes right on that nerve of conscience. And I immediately know what, I know what it is. When I was a young pastor, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm studying. It was lunch hour. Our receptionist left. John and Margaret Lilly, I saw them drive up. We had shaded windows. They couldn't see me. I saw them. They drove in. I knew Dixie was gone. They uh, were in the waiting area. I thought she'll be back any minute. I didn't want to be interrupted. So I'm studying. I'm studying because I've got to preach the word of God and help all these people grow in Christ. <laughs> and then it's five minutes, it's seven I think, where is she? And they're just waiting. I know they're out there waiting. Finally, I thought, i got to go out there. So there's a hallway here, a hallway to the reception area. I walk out. I walk like I'm going this way, and I look over and I go, oh, John, Margaret. Ha, huh, I didn't know you were here. I saw him drive in. So Saturday night... I'm looking over my notes, praying that God will help me to be very powerful in the scriptures. Help all these other people grow in Christ. I knew what it was. I'll never, I'll never lie again, Lord. I'll never do it again. I, I, finally, I just picked up the phone. Hey, John, Steve Farrar. Hey, Steve, how you doing? Great man. Great guy. Probably 75 years old at that point. I said, John, I'm not doing real well. What am I, 31 maybe? I said, you know, John, I'm really embarrassed to call you, but I've got to call you. Because you remember the other day when you and Margaret came by and you were up there and Dixie was gone? He goes, yeah. And I walk out and I said, I didn't know you were there. He goes, yeah. I said, I didn't know you were there. I want you to drive in but I didn't want to be interrupted because I was trying to make some tracks studying. But I just had to call you and tell you I lied to you. I'm, I'm so sorry, John. He said, you little good-for-nothing punk. <laughs> we should have never called you to this church. He didn't say that. He said, Steve, I really appreciate your calling. Thank you. You're, you're forgiven, absolutely. Thanks for the call. <clears throat> you make a couple calls like that, and you don't want to make any more. And you know why I did that? Because the guy that influenced me in college, you see, he was a serial adulterer, and you can't be an adulterer without being a liar. And I'd lied. Conscience is a nerve, and when, when I when I violate Scripture, which I know, he'll thump. He'll... Why? He loves me. He cares for me. He wants me to become mature. He wants me to be a man of character, not not a public persona, but character. Character, it's been said, character is what you are in the dark when no one's around. Character, when you go on a business trip, you don't leave your character. You take it. What's done in Vegas stays in Vegas. No, it doesn't. You can be sure your sin will find you out. Why not walk away from sin in Vegas? You should be no different in Vegas on a business trip than you are at home on Sunday morning with your family in church. There ought to be utter consistency. You see? I, Because of some of the guys I saw go down, I knew I could go down just as easily. The problem, when the Spirit of God thumps your nerve of conscience, you should, you should confess your sins. If you need to make a call, make a call. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He he wants you to be in fellowship. He wants you to walk clean before him. So confess it. Don't cover it up. Because when he flicks that nerve of conscience and you ignore him, you know what happens? And then the next time he flicks that nerve of conscience, and then the next time, and you keep ignoring and you keep ignoring, every time you ignore the spirit of God, you put a layer of callousness on your conscience. You put, you put, and you want a very tender conscience before the Spirit of God. That he can just, okay, Lord, I get it. And you deal with it. But when you keep walking in denial, and you keep walking against his will, you're asking for it. And he will discipline you if you're a believer. i had, you know, guys ask me, well, that guy, was he a believer? Well, you know what? Believers can get off track, but God will discipline you, Hebrews 12. But some guys, and you had some false teachers here, 1 John 2 says they went out from us because they were not of us. Some leave and never come back because they were never regenerated in the first place. But assuming you're a believer, when he flicks that nerve of conscience, deal with it. Respond. Um, When I was a kid, I saw a missionary came to our church. He showed a movie of his ministry in India at a leprosarium, and I'd never seen people. It was terrible. These people had lost their fingers, their hands, their, their feet. It was horrific. And as a little boy, I thought leprosy was a skin disease. Leprosy is a nerve disease. So if you have the first stage of leprosy in your feet, and you're in a third world country, and you're walking barefoot in the village, and you walk and step on a piece of glass, you don't even know you've stepped on the glass because you can't feel anything because your nerves are dead. And it's not until you get in town someone says, hey, man, your foot. Every time we resist the spirit of God and he thumps that nerve of conscience, you put a layer of callousness, and these guys, these false teachers, had done this for so long, it was like they were seared in their own conscience, as with the branding iron, and they cauterize their own conscience, and that's why they shipwrecked. You see, it's just not knowing the word of God. It's doing the word of God. That's how you fight the good fight. You keep close accounts with the Lord, short accounts. Deal with the sin because Jesus has dealt with it. You want to walk in righteousness. You don't want to live a double life you don't want to be worried about Mike Wallace coming in with a film crew. Because, and, and we've all got stuff, but you need to be able to say when they walk in with the film crew, yeah, yeah, and I went and made that right. Yeah, I confess that to the Lord. Yeah, that's, yeah, that yeah, yeah. But I've taken that to the Lord. You see, that's how you fight the good fight. This is integrity. This is character. This is how we avoid the shipwrecks, by his grace and goodness. Can I say this? If you've wandered, get back to Christ and deal with it now. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your mercy and kindness and goodness. We all fail, we all fall short. Sometimes we think we can't come back to you and ask for forgiveness. That's just a lie from Satan. We come to you, we confess our sins. What a great Savior you are to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a person we need to talk with that we've hurt, that we haven't been up front with, and your spirit prompts us and we need to go talk to them. May we do so to honor you, to put things right. Thanks for your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.